Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Margie Feldhoon. Margie is a very special guest and one that I was actually surprised when uh, they she pitched to come on the show because Margie is the co-owner and CEO of Interview Connections. And we have actually featured a few of their clients on the podcast. So not only have they pitched their clients to us and we have accepted some of their pitches, but now the CEO and co-owner of the business wanted to come on and share her story and her journey with us. And during this conversation, We talk a lot about her journey with Interview Connections. While she might be the co-owner today, she didn't always start that way. Margie actually started as a contractor for the company, then became an employee, and then became the co-owner. So we're going to talk about this journey and each step of the way for her to become co-owner and how that transition went and why that transition was right for the company. We also talked about in this conversation how many companies misclassify their employees and not because they have bad intentions. And we talk about how having employees in the long run can actually be cheaper than contractors and what type of team members you need for your business if you want your business to be successful in the long run. She also gets real and honest about some of the struggles that they went through, but how they were well worth it to grow the business that they have today with the mighty staff that they have today. But before we get into the conversation, let me tell you a little bit more about Margie. Like I mentioned, Margie is the co-owner and CEO of Interview Connections, the first and leading podcast booking agency. Margie and her business partner, Jessica, lead an in-house staff of over 25 full-time employees in their now virtual Rhode Island office and have successfully scaled the agency to multiple seven figures. Their team of in-house booking agents are the podcast powerhouses behind a rapidly growing catalog of hundreds of successful entrepreneurs and businesses, including Ellie Brown, Paul Ross, JJ Virgin, Eb Weber, and U.S. Financial. And a few of the guests that we've had on this podcast, including Molly McGrath, Katrina Burrus, Krista Grosso, and Elizabeth Letardo. Margie has appeared on dozens of top-tier podcasts like Boss Project and Market Your Genius as a guest expert and thought leader. When she's not busy recording her own show, Rock the Podcast, Margie is active in animal rescue, organizing a yearly fundraiser called Art for Animals, 
In 2019, she was recognized for her efforts with a Humane Heroes Award. She is owned by her 17-year-old cat and 9-year-old toothless Yorkie Poo. So let's jump into the conversation and learn more about Margie's journey with Interview Connections. Hi, Margie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. Yeah. Can you kick us off with telling everybody about yourself and your business? Yes. So my name is Margie Feltune, and I am the CEO and co-owner of Interview Connections. We are a multi-seven-figure podcast booking agency. So we book entrepreneurs as guests on podcasts and amplify the voices of leaders who embody authenticity, integrity, and kindness. And we also have an incredible in-house team of 25 full-time employees in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. We're located in Rhode Island. Awesome. You know, it is so great to be speaking with you today because I know we have interviewed a few of your clients here on the podcast. So you've sent us some uh, great recommendations. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Our clients amaze me every day. They're, they're pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't surprise me that you have such a large team because I think almost every time uh, someone reaches out to me with a new connection, a new possible guest for the podcast, it's always from somebody different. So showing that, you know, you have that large team that's serving each one of your clients. Yes, absolutely. And really we couldn't be where we are today if we hadn't embraced team and specifically embraced like W2 employees. We did have a contractor model, but the way that we've grown, um, having employees has been a really key part of it. Ooh, I definitely want to dig more into that. But before we get into kind of that kind of transition and where you are today, let's go back all the way to the beginning. So you joined it. I think, uh, from your bio and everything, you were one of the first or the first employee for interview connections back in 2017. And now you are a part owner. So tell us a little bit about that journey. First off, what was it like being the first employee? And did you know at that point in time that you might end up becoming a co-owner? That's a great question. So I I started out, I actually was a contractor, a contract booking agent back when Interview Connections had the contractor labor, labor model. And I was like a $15 an hour freelance contractor in 2016. And then through like a series of events, I ended up moving from where I was living in Colorado back home to Rhode Island, which is where Jess, the founder of Interview Connections, my now business partner lives. And so it was really fortuitous that when Jess decided after speaking with an HR consultant, that truly what she needed was employees. And she had been treating contractors as employees, which she was warned not to do. And she decided, well, I'll have one key employee. And I was already, you know, in leadership, taking a lot of initiative and I had just moved back to Rhode Island. So she asked me to become the first employee of interview connections and, and that, like you said, was in uh, 20, the end of 2016. So beginning of 2017, when I was the first official employee. And then pretty quickly after that, um, Jess was like, you know what, I think we need to get rid of all the contractors and hire 
local employees. And that's when things really got interesting because at that point we really didn't know what we were doing. So there was a lot of, it was a very steep learning curve to, to learn how to hire employees, train employees, how to have benefits for W-2 employees, how to manage them and lead them, what their metrics should look like. So that was a really steep learning curve. And when I became the first employee, I didn't know I would become co-owner. I actually, after I accepted the job, I went home and I cried to my best friend because I wanted to be a business owner. I didn't want to be an employee. And so moving from a freelance contractor to an employee felt like a step back in some ways because my goal was to own a business. But I also knew it was a step forward and I was so invested in the company. I wanted to, to help grow it. So it was a little bit conflicted, but I really did love being the first employee. You have so much ownership and uh, such a huge impact on the culture of the business going forward, the systems, you know, all of that was really cool to co-create with Jess. Right. There's so many great things and interesting things that I want to dive into with what you just said. But before I forget or get go down another path, one of the things that I really want to point out because it connects to a conversation that was just on episode 66 with Eve Epstein. And we were talking about switching people from contractors to employees and people just assuming that once they get to that point that everyone that's in a contractor position would be more than happy to take an employee position and you just need to offer it. And we say, yes, yeah, sometimes people will take that position, but other times people won't. And it's remembering that when people are in a contract position, they're technically business owners and not everyone wants to give up their business. Or if you think about it away, merge their business with your business. So it's so interesting to hear like what happened to you that you knew it was a good move but it was still kind of, it was still an emotional move. It was, you still felt like you were giving up being a business owner in your own business to make this move. Yeah. Yeah. That, that captures it perfectly. And what that's so interesting that you just had that conversation because yeah, it, it did feel like sort of merging my business, even though I like, you know, interview connections was my only client as a contractor. I was working basically full-time hours, but then I had like a side hustle doing fitness coaching and stuff. So it did feel like giving up my freedom. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. It's going from a contractor to an employee. When you were a contractor, did you feel like the line was being crossed and that you were being treated like an employee? So not intentionally. Um, and, and obviously I'm not going to throw interview connections under the bus, but <laughs> I will say that you know, as owners, Jess and I learned a lot about the distinction between a contractor and an employee and someone who's not familiar with HR and labor laws would not know. And so I do think that we were blurring that line, not not because we were trying to, but because we truly didn't know. And, you know, most of us come out of traditional jobs. So even if we have contractors, we call them employees, even if they're not, and we treat them like employees because that's what we know how to do in terms of what a team looks like. Cause we've been part of W2 teams, most of us. So right. 
I do think the line was blurred. And one of the big distinctions and the reason that we decided to leave the contractor labor model was because we wanted more control. Like you can't tell a contractor when to work. Like we needed a team who was like, you're available, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five Eastern standard time. If you want to take a vacation, you have to, you know, clear it with us. Like all of that stuff that with a contractor, you know, if they decide to go on a two month long backpacking trip, you know, the day before there's really not much you can do. You can stop working with that contractor, but it's not the same as having an employee where you can really guarantee to your clients that the level of service is going to be really consistent and high touch and, and all of that. Right. And that is so important. Like what you brought up is I have these conversations all the time with people. They're like, well, I can just hire this person as a contractor because all they think about and all they hear about is the difference in taxes. Oh, I can hire them as a contractor. Then I don't have to worry about the employee level taxes. And I'm just like, hold on, wait, let's make sure this position can actually be a contractor position. Like, here's the difference. Here's how the relationship will be different if you have them as a contractor versus as an employee. And there are so many times when I have those conversations where people go, oh, this is an employee position. I never knew the difference. And it's, it's one of those things. It's like companies don't always do it maliciously. It's not with bad intents that they're misclassifying. It's that they really don't know the difference. Yeah. And I'm so glad that like, Jamie, you are here to advise people and anyone listening to this who doesn't have someone advising them on this and has contractors and you think you might be treating them as employees, like reach out to Jamie. Oh my gosh. Because it's so common. We're in a lot of masterminds with like incredible business owners, multi seven and eight figure businesses who are doing this because they don't know, like they're brilliant, they're successful, but they just don't know the distinction between an employee and a contractor. So are inadvertently violating labor laws. And also I I have found like, we were scared too, when we moved to employees and part of that was for taxes. And then we realized to be competitive, we really needed like benefits and healthcare and PTO. And there was that initial sticker shock, but I, I do believe it's actually been less expensive because when we go all in on our employees, we have this great team who we can count on. We have less turnover and we have a higher end service that's more valuable that we can charge more for. So I, I do think there's initial sticker shock and we went through that too, but the investment, if what you need truly is employees for the positions you have, the investment is really worth it. Yes, definitely. 100%. And what sometimes people don't realize is even with contractors, typically, especially if you're hiring some like really good contractors who've been doing this for other clients, they have their set prices, which normally bake in those additional taxes because they have to pay them on their side money. So that way they can pay their business expenses and, and be able to take time off and stuff. So all that sometimes is built into their rate. So their rate might be higher on an hourly basis than just that hourly pay that you'd pay an employee because it already counts in all of those additional expenses. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a good point. Cause I definitely did that as a contractor And I think one of the other things is if you try to make a contractor into an employee, it's not that you can't, some of them might love it, but 
contractors are entrepreneurs. And when we're building a team of employees, we want intrapreneurs. We want people who want to be employees, who want to take ownership and leadership and, and really make it their own, but who ultimately don't want to be business owners. And with contractors, there a lot of them are very entrepreneurial, which is not a bad thing, but they, they might not be the employee that you need in your goals. Who's just going to be like, all right, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like they're like, they're an independent business owner. Right. Yeah. And being an independent business owner, they're not going to care about your business at the same level that an employee will, because you're one of their clients. If you're no longer there, they can probably go fill that spot with a different client. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, you know, mutual because you're not going all in on them. Like you're not, when you have an employee who you're investing with in development and in, you know, benefits and stuff to make their lives better, you're going all in on them. So I think it's much easier for them to be more all in on you and on the business. Whereas you're right with a contractor, you're one of many clients. It's not, it's really not their job to care that much about your business right? It's their job to complete the work that you're hiring them to do. Yes. Yeah. So now let's go back to your transition. So you became the employee of the company and then you are moving on to be a co-owner of the company. Tell us more about that transition and how that looked for you, because I'm sure your responsibilities changed. So Definitely the amount of skin I had in the game changed because <laughs> suddenly if the company got sued, I'm getting sued. Like if, if the company had a bad year, like I'm having a bad year. So it, there was risk, but I was very excited. Unlike getting the offer to be an employee where I was kind of bummed, but I felt like it was the right thing. Like I was just so excited to be an owner and it wasn't a huge change in responsibilities because the reason I was able to ask for that and get it was because I had been acting like an owner the entire time. So I think that's a really important like thing for employees who want to be not even just owners, but promoted into leadership is do the job you want before you're getting compensated for it. And then when you ask for it, it's a no brainer for a business owner. If you're doing a great job to say yes, or at least to seriously consider it. Right. I remember back in my corporate days with managing team members when they would ask for not necessarily promotions, because at that point in time, we really didn't have promotions within our team. They had to be hired by someone outside of our team, but for raises. And they'd be like, well, I want the raise because, you know, I'm going to take on more responsibility. And sometimes like, it doesn't really work that way. You need to show me that you're already doing that additional responsibility. You're already, because you're being paid for your job. If you want to be paid more, what are you doing that shows that you deserve more? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So now you're, you're a business owner. You guys are deciding that you need to switch from the contractor model to the employee model. And I'm sure that disrupted your business in some ways, because probably some people said yes, and some people said no to transitioning with you. What did that look like? And what did you guys have to go through in order to make your team of employees fully staffed? Yeah, I don't want to scare anyone, but 
It was not for the faint of heart. I mean, if we had had someone like you advising us more closely, I think it would have gone more smoothly, but it was very challenging. And this changeover started in 2017. So that's part of how I showed ownership and really like stepped into a higher role was I took a lot of leadership over this project of, you know, trying to convert contractors to employees and then hiring employees. And because it was so incredibly challenging and Jess and I were in it together, that's a big part of, you know, how I felt like an owner before even being an owner, because we were both just so in it. So the decision that we made after speaking to someone was to only have employees in the state of Rhode Island because we didn't want to register the business in multiple states and multiple countries because we were just figuring this out. So being compliant in all these different places and paying to register, we just wanted to keep it simple. We live in a state that has, you know, like a lot of people, it's not like rural. So it's not hard to find talent in Rhode Island, but it was hard because our best contractors were not in Rhode Island. A lot of them weren't even in the country. So we, we, you know, said you could move to Rhode Island, like knowing they wouldn't, but basically just let all our best people go and kept a couple people who were in Rhode Island and they didn't end up working out because it was that like contractor to employee transition because they'd been contractors. It was very hard for them to adjust to this. You work in the office now, you know, we had a brick and mortar office at that point, you know, you, you report at these different hours, you have to be producing these results. And so we, they did not end up lasting, although they're great people. We, we didn't successfully transition anyone from contractor to employee, except for me. Um, and so we basically started from scratch and our service is very labor intensive. So what we had to do was exit all of these contractors and bring on and train all these brand new employees without our, at that point, probably a hundred clients having any disruption in their service of booking them on podcasts. So it was a crazy balancing act that was at times very exciting and rewarding. At times, I remember going into Jess's office and closing the door and she had like this round white table in her office and I just like put my head down on it and like cried. (laughs) And if I could sum up dealing with early team issues, it would probably be that moment. But it was so rewarding. And because we put in that work, we now, you know, three, four years later, have an incredibly solid team who is just amazing. Yeah. And let's just talk about that. Sometimes you need to go through these, what feels like horrible, emotionally and mentally draining things to get to what is right for the business. And transitions are hard, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't go through them if they're going to lead you to a better outcome. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, with that, that you were able to go into, you know, your bosses or, you know, moving on to your co-owner's office and have those emotions and not be like, okay, I need to hide this. This is, you know, we have to recognize that we're all emotional people. We're all humans. 
And sometimes we need to let those emotions out in appropriate ways in order to then get through and focus on what is the next move we need to take. Yes. We say all the time, vent up, vent up. Like if you're having a problem, open up to the person above you. Don't vent down to the people reporting to you. But like, so like for our managers and stuff, we're like, or our leads, we're like, if something's going on, talk to your manager, vent up. If if our manager's having an issue, we're like, come to us. Like, let's, let's talk this out. So yes, appropriate venting to the right people is really important. And having, when you're doing something really challenging and especially something new, I mean, no other podcast booking agencies existed. We were hiring for a position that we had made up. We were really making a lot as we went. And whenever you're doing something innovative like that, I think it's really important that there's psychological safety for people to appropriately vent or express, you know, what's going on. Right. I can tell you the most impactful manager I had, we had that relationship and I never heard of anyone refer to it as venting up before. I love that. And I'm going to remember it, but We would, I was reporting to her when our team was going through a lot of changes and they were hard. It was hard leading a team through these changes, even when you know they're the right change, like dealing with everything that uh, each individual is experiencing with this change and then dealing with what me as like an individual is dealing with the change. And even you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's hard. And you'd think you're like on the right path. And all of a sudden you'd get news that there's a curveball thrown at you. And I would just remember going into our office at times and we'd have our one-on-one meetings. And the first five minutes it was, let's just vent, get it all off our chest. And then, okay, now that those five minutes are done, what do we do to move forward? How are we going to communicate this next uh, change to the team? You know, what's positive about this change? How is this change getting us closer to the end result that we want? And it was so great to not have those emotions be ignored, but then be able to move forward from it. Like use that, like, why is it frustrating you? Okay, well, let's focus on that. Why and create the right action plan. Yeah, I, I, I think it's not a coincidence that, I think probably most of the most impactful managers that people have had were managers who they could come to and be that authentic, who were also solution oriented. So they don't let you commiserate too long, but you can be real with them. And I, I love that you said one-on-ones. So we did not have formal one-on-ones until pretty recently, but now everyone has a weekly one-on-one with the person that they report to. So my only one-on-one is with our highest level leader and it's absolutely incredible. And I actually just read a book called the coaching habit, which is seven questions. And it's been, it's been amazing for the one-on-ones, but you can also use them in just quick 10 minute conversations because it's a focus on asking questions, like what's on your mind. And then they answer and you're like, okay, and what else? And what else? And what else? And you keep going deeper. And I found that really helpful to go deeper with the people I manage because people don't always tell you right away what's going on or they don't even know. So the first thing they tell you might not be the heart of it, but when you keep asking questions, you get in there. So 
I am so into one-on-ones and specifically if the manager or leader can be a good listener and ask more questions than they offer advice. Those I really think are transformational managers who people always remember. Yes. And I love that you brought that up. I know when I first started managing a team, the company I was with had this habit of doing one-on-ones, but I really didn't see the value in them at that point in time. So I got to the point where I was always canceling them on my team members have been like, Oh, we don't need them. We don't need them. And I was always canceling them. And then what had happened was I went out on maternity leave. And then when I came back, I was like, all right, no, I really need these meetings because after being gone for three months, I need to reconnect with my team. And I kind of switched my thought process about that. And I said, before I was canceling them, because from what I was aware of, we didn't need to talk about anything but there's so much that I'm not aware of. And that's the whole purpose of these one-on-ones. So then once I started actually staying consistent with these one-on-ones, only canceling when there was a legitimate reason why I had to cancel, why I physically could not be there, the relationship between me and my employees improved so much. And they started telling me more and more and looping me in on things that I should be aware of as a manager, but before maybe they would just try to figure it all out on their own, where now they would still figure it out on their own, but they would loop me in and be like, okay, well, in case you hear about this, here's what happened. Here's what I did where I could be like, okay, yep. You handled that well. And, and stuff like that, where it just like, it blossomed the relationship that I had with my team members because I reserved this time for them and then was willing to dig deeper than the surface. Yeah. I honestly had a very similar journey. I totally relate to you. I didn't see the importance of them because I'm like one of those people who doesn't love meetings. And I just, will. it's like always a thing I'll cancel if it's like an internal meeting. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But I, I totally agree. And focusing on asking more questions was a big part of what helped me be more excited about one-on-ones. And then also that connection aspect. And I love that you brought up the things that you don't see, because we think a lot as business owners about what we can see, but how often are we asking ourselves, what can't I see? Because there's so much stuff that you can't see and that's okay. It's not something to freak out about, but the more you can be curious and investigate and have those conversations, the better your decisions will be because it's based on not just the stuff you can easily see. Right. Exactly. So with the team, so over the years, you mentioned that everyone was in the office brick and mortar, but I believe from uh, some of the information you provided me before, now everyone's remote. Now, was that transition due to the pandemic or were you guys already starting to transition to remote environments? It was because of the pandemic. So we started in one office and then we ended up outgrowing it and moving into a bigger office. And I did not want to work in an office at all. So I found like every reason not to go to the office, (laughs) Um, but I would have to go in sometimes. And we started, other people were interested in working from home sometimes. So I was in charge of calling snow days. And because I didn't like going to the office, if there was like one flake of snow, I was like, oh, all right, work from home. But then everybody on the team got to really like the snow days. So we started doing work from home Wednesdays. So they were working from home one day a week, which was sort of a nice way to break it up, but they could still see each other and and hang out in the office other days. 
And then we added one more work from home day. And then that was going pretty well. And then we were about to be faced with this decision of like, our team is getting so big that we need a bigger office again. And then COVID hit and while it was terrible in many ways, I, I like to find silver linings. And it was an amazing silver lining of it forced our hand on the decision of whether to go full remote, which was exciting for me because I really wanted to go full remote, but it was also a great business decision because the, the lease on, a, on an office space big enough for the 25 employees we have now and the 50 that we'll have in a year was a lot. Like it was just a lot of moving pieces. It was a big investment. So it ended up working out really well. And because the team had been working from home a couple of days a week, they already had a little bit of a setup. They knew how to do it. So we are now full remote and we um, employ people in both Rhode Island and Massachusetts. So we branched out to one more state and that's been going great. Awesome. Yeah. That's one thing that people sometimes have to remember is when you have an office, there's this huge expense. And as your business continues to grow, that expense gets bigger and bigger. You need your office location. You need desks, you need chairs, you need equipment for the office. You need to, if it's not baked into your rent, pay for utilities. And so those expenses can quickly add up that I always say, if you can function in a remote environment, why not do it? Yeah, it, it, the expenses add up, but then it's like the tax on your bandwidth too. There's all these annoying things of like, gotta make sure the paper towels don't run out. Like all the facilities management, that's like, who do I really want spending time on this when they could be doing something that would be like so much more valuable to the business. So, and I don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to know when we need more paper towels. So yeah, I agree. I, the remote is just cleaner and simpler. And once everyone's vaccinated, we can still get together, you know, as a team and have that community aspect without having to work in an office. Right. So with that, will you guys get a small office just for like get togethers occasionally, or will it just be 100% remote across the board? That's a great question. I mean, things change all the time with the information I have right now, I would say we'll probably stay full remote. If it was really important to the team to have some type of space, I would be open to a smaller office space that could be like a co-working area for them. So I don't want to go into an office, but as long as I don't have to go, I'd be open to it if it was something that especially my leaders would really find helpful because I, you know, doing VIP days and coaching and stuff, I know how powerful in-person energy can be. So I'm open to it, but at this point there are no plans to um, rent anywhere. Yeah. I know the company my husband works for, he's been working remote for them for three years, but their headquarters is about 35 minutes away from our house. And they kind of had a kind of an open, open office environment. So for most of their employees, if they wanted to go into the office, they could, that no one had assigned desks or anything there. It was kind of like one of those things where even though there's no assigned desks, people had their designated spots where they would sit when yeah. they would go in. But um you know, they could just go in if they wanted. Uh, some of the team members that did work in the area would get together and collaborate on certain days, but then they'd work from home the rest of the time. So they could like really focus and get their work done. Now, I think with them, 
even though they had that space, they've recently downsized it to a smaller space just because of COVID they realized, okay, well, maybe we don't need such a big space. Uh, but but it, yeah, for them, it was nice to occasionally have that space where they could go and collaborate and be as a team, but not have to do it every day because who wants to commute every day? I know I, know. I don't. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah, there's always a part of me. It's like, well, as I continue to grow my business, will I eventually get an office space out of my home? And I'm just like, but then I have to drive to it every day. I'm like, yeah, we'll see how the, what the future holds. But <laughs> right now I'm like, I like remote. Yeah, I'm loving this no driving lifestyle. <laughs> right? Yes, it is nice. Uh, so with everything. All right. So now you have this team of 25 and you're thinking that you'll be at 50 employees within the next year. So obviously you've gone a long way with employee count. You had workers, but you went from you being the first employee to your team of 25 and you're hoping to grow. What are some tips that you have learned along this way that would be helpful to our listeners as they continue to grow their teams? Well, definitely hiring someone like you, like you should not be going into this blind because like, not only will it be more stressful, but you could get sued, <laughs> like not to scare you, but, but like have the confidence of someone like Jamie advising you. Um, the other thing I would say is the thing about team that's so challenging, but also makes it so incredible is that a lot of what it takes to be a great leader, which I think is an ongoing journey forever, it has to do with you. Like you need to be willing to work on yourself because you will be tested by having a team. It will trigger your insecurities. You will see things mirrored in your employees that are things that you maybe need to deal with in yourself. Um, you, you have to figure out that, that line of not being a pushover, but also not being too like strict and domineering. I mean, it's such an incredible personal development journey. So I would say hire a professional to advise you and also really commit to personal development and working on yourself because you have to be open to growth and change if you're going to set off on, on that journey. Yes. That is something, a conversation I've recently had with a client that, you know, there's a lot that they need to work on in terms of their management style in order to continue growing the team that they want. It's not as simple as hiring someone and continuing down the same path that you are always, that you are already on. You need to change and grow as a leader as your team continues to grow and expand. Yeah. And it's humbling because most of us who own businesses are really good at doing things ourselves. Like we're achievers and managing the, the skill of have inspiring other people to do great work, not just doing great work yourself is incredibly humbling. Like you really have to accept that you're not, you're probably not as good a leader as you think you are. Yes. Exactly. And related to that, I was actually just having a conversation with someone yesterday who is in their first leadership position and they're having a really hard time adjusting to that position. And one of the things I pointed out to them, I was like, all right, from everything I know about you, you have always been a high achiever, which is why you're now in a leadership position. But being a high achiever and knowing that you're a high achiever means that you were probably always one of those things that was the top of the team. People looked up to, you did everything well. 
And because of that, you might think that even if it's subconscious, you're not actually saying it in your head that people can't do things as well as you. So you're scared to let go and trust them. And being that high achiever, you need to learn that it's okay for people to do it their way. Like it's okay to let go. It's okay to trust other team members. Yes. Trust is huge. And I definitely had that problem where in the beginning it felt like employees would slow me down. Like I can just do it better myself, but you really cap your growth. If you do that, like there's only so much that you personally can do. And it is trust. It's trust in your team. It's trust in yourself. It's trust in the universe that even if you make a terrible decision, that it will work out and that you can figure it out. So I I do think trust is like one of the, the biggest things. Yes. Yeah. And like you said, there's only so much you can do. Uh, one of the quotes I love is you don't have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce because she has a whole team helping behind her. (laughs) Yes. I love that. (laughs) All right. Well, we are getting to the end. So, uh, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you or how they can get in touch with interview connections. If they would like to get on some podcasts. Yes. So our website is interviewconnections.com, but the best place to connect with us and interact with me and Jess and our amazing team live is to join our free Facebook community, interviewconnections.com slash group. All right. Well, thank you, Margie. All right. So my final question that I like to ask everyone, we have all had leaders, excuse me, I'll start that over. We have all had leaders or managers that stood out to us. Think of the most impactful leader or manager that you have had. And can you share with us one thing that made them stand out as a great leader to you? So this is funny because a lot of why I wanted to own a business is because I didn't really have any managers that I liked, except I would say Jess, my now business partner. And One of the things I really respect about Jess as a leader is she gave me a lot of freedom, which if she hadn't given me freedom to like figure things out and do things my own way, it probably wouldn't have worked out. But because she gave me that autonomy, I was able to really take ownership of things and grow things and figure things out in a way that for a a young business where we were was really helpful for everybody. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for everything that you shared today on the Growing Your Team podcast. It was so great having you and having you be open and honest and share about your journey of going from contractor to employee to business owner. Thank you so much, Jamie. Are you ready to hire a new team member for your business and you want to ensure you hire the person who can succeed in the role, make you happy, and positively impact your bottom line, then set up time and let's talk. Because this is exactly how I help business owners like you. When you go through my hire framework, not only will you learn how to attract candidates who have the passion you desire, but you'll be able to identify and select candidates who have the skills you need and can succeed in the role. With my hire framework, you go through 
four core areas. We start off by going through the hiring details. Here, I help you articulate exactly what your position entails so you're not working in reactive mode. We then dig into the very specific criteria your idea candidate needs to have to be a best fit not only for your position, but for your company as a whole. Then we move on to step two, initiating the advertising plan. This is where I create you a detailed custom job posting and a custom advertising plan designed to bring in perfect fit candidates. So you spend your time looking at quality candidates. Then step three is all about the review process. I provide you with a review guide that's designed to help you identify quickly what to look for in a submitted application to determine if they're worthy of your time. After you choose the best candidates, I provide you with a custom interview guide so you know exactly what to ask in an interview and make sure the interview is as productive as possible. And then lastly, step four, it's all about the expectations for success. Once you've hired the best candidate, I help you make sure your onboarding plan is as efficient as possible so you can set your new hire up for long-term success and no more having to go through the yo-yo of the hiring and firing cycle. You have a team member on your team who's going to stick around and perform at the level needed. Going through this consulting process not only helps you find the right new hire for your current open position, but it teaches you how to repeat this process with every new position you add to your company as it continues to grow. So if you're a small business owner who is ready to hire, has a rough idea of the position you need to add, and you're tired of going through the hiring process only to end up with bad fitting team members, then let's talk. Send me an email at jamie at growingyourteam.com. That's jamie, J-A-M-I-E at growingyourteam.com or head on over to growingyourteam.com slash jumpstart and let's talk about your hiring needs. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.